Well, this morning, as we get started, I want to say grace be to you and peace from God and our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. I think it's amazing how these salutations at the beginning of each one of the Pauline epistles are at the heart of the message of grace that we preach and proclaim here at Bible Fellowship. These salutations so clearly help us understand the important distinctions between that which was prophesied concerning Israel and the message of the prophets and the message of the apostles from that which was proclaimed, that which was a mystery hid in God concerning the body of Christ, that which was revealed to Paul, Saul of Tarsus. As we study God's Word, we understand that that instead, and with these salutations of, 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 of grace and peace to you, every one of the Pauline epistles starts with that salutation. And instead of judgment and wrath of the tribulation that was prophesied, What fell was God's grace. Instead of war that was prophesied, what was ushered in was peace. The peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you just get choked up thinking about And realizing what God offers to individuals today who are sinners, who are lost, who their only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we as a church get to proclaim that truth without hesitancy, without reservation. We get to tell a lost and dying world that Jesus saves that the Lord, He is God, and His mercy endures forever. Our church for 80 years has been boldly and gladly proclaiming that the reason that Israel was temporarily blinded, temporarily set aside, and they still are, that the reason that there was a change in God's dealing with mankind. God never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. With Him, there's no shadow of turning. But folks, when you study the Scriptures, you realize that God's dealings with mankind has changed. And God's Word's very clear why that is. It was explained by Peter. 2 Peter verse 3, chapter 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God's Word tells us that God was not willing that any should perish. Any should perish. But the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness. But His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
Peter was speaking to the Jews that were wondering, why is the delay? Why is he not here? Why hasn't he come? Why haven't those prophecies unfolded? What's going on here? Peter's answer to them, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Paul, speaking of the same thing, tells us that God is not willing, that it's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We have to realize that the Gentiles were lost, they were without hope, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, that Christ had come into his own, his own received him not, that Israel was temporarily blinded, they are set aside, and instead of God's wrath, instead of God's judgment, instead of war, instead of all those things that the tribulation forecast and predicts was going to happen, what fell was not God's judgment after Israel rejected, but what fell was God's grace, God's mercy, His desire that all men might be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So instead of judgment and war, grace and peace, that salvation is offered to all who believe the gospel. Salvation is offered to all who believe that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. The work has been done. The work was accomplished. People say, well, I've got to do something. There needs there, there has to be something that I need to do, that I need to perform. There's something that I need to do in order to merit such great salvation. And what this church stands on is the Word of God that declares that what a person needs to do to be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That the work was accomplished by Christ on Calvary's cross. And that there's absolutely nothing that we could ever do to merit that perfect salvation. And because of Christ's finished work on the cross, and by faith we believe, and we are told from God's Word that we are made complete in Him. We are told in God's Word that we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. And I stand amazed at that salvation. And for 80 years, this church has dared to stand for those distinctions that God's Word so clearly demonstrates the truth of this hidden secret that was revealed to the apostle to the Gentiles was to show that God in his infinite mercy and wisdom and grace and love desired to reconcile the word the world both Jew and Gentile into one new man into the body of Christ so making one new man by the cross the salvation was not based on any covenant promise but by God's matchless grace. God reconciling the world unto Himself. And the amazing thing is that God chose to include Israel in the Gentiles' unbelief, not so that He could rain down judgment, not so that He could punish the Gentiles, but God included the Gentiles, the, the Jews, the, the nation of Israel in unbelief so that he might have mercy 
on all, that he could offer salvation to all. He would have been justified to have said, I'm just going to wipe them out. He would have been justified in saying, there's enough of this nonsense. They're nothing but a pack of sinners. They're nothing but a liars and fornicators and on and on and on and on. But he looked beyond our faults and he saw our need. And he met that need on Calvary's cross as he shed his precious blood, dying for my sin and your sin. What a redeemer. What a redeemer. Including us all in unbelief in order that he might have mercy on all. What a plan of salvation. What a demonstration of love and grace. And this unique and distinctive plan of salvation was revealed to the chief of sinners. Isn't that significant? It was revealed to the chief of sinners by the Lord Jesus Christ. And here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, we stand for that unique message. And we've had the joy and the privilege of preaching those truths for 80 years with eternal consequences. And I stand in amazement. From the beginning of this church, the uniqueness of Paul's message, the uniqueness of Paul's gospel, he calls it my gospel, has been proclaimed and recognized by St. Louis Bible Fellowship for over 80 years. You don't believe me? Well, I've invited the former pastor, Eugene Ruler, to speak briefly on the New Testament and the uniqueness of Paul's gospel. Tim? Just what is this book that we call the New Testament? We know that there are Bible colleges all over our land where the New Testament is taught very thoroughly. There are professors of New Testament literature. There are those who teach the New Testament in its original language, in the Greek language. So a great deal of study is devoted to the New Testament. And then we have the higher critics who are constantly analyzing the New Testament to find evidences of contradictions or errors so that this book that is called the New Testament is subjected to a great deal of scrutiny. What really is the New Testament that we talk about in our Bible, this particular part of our Bible, the Greek portion? We discover that the New Testament actually consists of 27 separate documents, 27 separate documents. Some of them are booklets, some of them are books, some of them are letters, some are personal letters, some are letters addressed to assemblies or groups of people. And that, of course, is what you have in the New Testament. Now we know that near the close of the first century, these 27 books were gathered together and with a great deal of scrutiny and a great deal of perseverance, those early believers accepted only the manuscripts that had the mark of being divinely inspired and that spoke with authority. 
and we know that all of the manuscripts that you have in the so-called New Testament scriptures certainly speak with authority, speak as the very word of God. Now when we think about these 27 books of the New Testament, we realize that only eight different individuals wrote these 27 books. Eight individuals, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, James, and Peter, and Jude, and the Apostle Paul. Eight men that wrote these 27 books. And then when we analyze that a little bit further, we discover that out of these eight men who wrote the 27 manuscripts that consist of our New Testament scriptures, that Paul wrote more than half. He wrote 14 out of the 27. Now this certainly puts Paul in a very unique place. There must be something unusual, something unique, and something particular about this man, Paul. Matthew and John and Peter were members of the group of the 12 apostles. These 12 apostles had walked with the Lord for three years. They'd been taught by him. Certainly they were instructed in many of the great truths of the Lord. So we would expect that they would have been the authors of most of the books of the New Testament. But we find that it's only a few out of that 12 who actually write the books of the New Testament. You have Matthew and John and Peter. Now I know we have a James, but I don't believe this was James, one of the 12 apostles. I believe this was James, the Lord's brother, his half-brother. And we have Jude, and I do not believe that this Jude is necessarily the Jude who belonged to the 12, but that he too was one of the half-brothers of the Lord. So we see that there is a limited number of the 12 apostles who composed some of the writings of the New Testament. But here is this man, Paul, who never belonged to the Twelve, who was not even a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly life, who writes more than half of the New Testament. Now this certainly should cause people to stop when they begin studying the New Testament and seek to evaluate the ministry of this man, Paul. Then when we go to Paul's own writings, we discover that in practically every manuscript that was penned by the Apostle Paul, he had something to say about the fact that he had a unique ministry, that he was commissioned by the risen and glorified Savior to proclaim and preach truths that were being revealed unto him by that risen, glorified Savior. What a pastor. He was. So right from the very beginning, the uniqueness of that special revelation that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to this, this chief of sinners when he saved him by grace and revealed this glorious truth to him. This church will continue to stand on that truth. Our purpose, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Our purpose, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 18 through 21. Our purpose. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our purpose is to be ministers of the word of reconciliation. Our calling is 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That is our calling, our duty. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth in our prayer, our prayer for our church. Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is our prayer for you. But folks, what a legacy we have here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship. And I am confident in the faithfulness and the dedication of the young men and the young women of this church to carry on that legacy of rightly dividing the word of truth. I've got to tell you young guys something. The torch that we will eventually pass on to you burns brightly but it's difficult to maintain at times. You need to understand. It's difficult to maintain. The temptation to compromise, take it firsthand. The temptation to compromise, the desire for larger numbers becomes overwhelming. But I'm confident that the men of this church will carry out their calling to carry on the ministry with abiding faithfulness to carry on this ministry with a hunger for God's Word. And my hope and prayer for each one of you is that you will have a zeal for witnessing to those who are lost. Matter of fact, your zeal would be to win the lost at any cost, understanding that there's a world, there's a world that needs to hear that Jesus saves. And we are the ones... The church, the body of Christ, that needs to take that truth to them. Nathan, Chase, Blake, Rick, Josh, Tim, Aaron, Steve, Howard, Pat. How do you even need that? Pat, I put you in the young boys class. <laughs> I'm not finished. Dale, I included you too, brother. My prayer is that each one of you will all realize, sorry, Neil. My prayer, 
is that you will all realize the importance of you personally guarding that precious deposit, that truth that has been committed to your trust, understanding that gospel of the grace of God, understanding the mystery and standing for it, understanding you women, you young women, I challenge you to stand by your husbands, to stand by your church family, keeping your nose in the book. You've all had a host of faithful men and women go before you. You all have. Men like Eugene Ruler that you just heard from. Men like Ed Judy that I miss every single day. Men like Ken Gardner, Phil Lilly, Charlie Gulath, Ray Smithkins, Norman Schnoth, Vernon Schnoth, Vernon Schutz, Ken Butow, and the list goes on and on and on of men who've sat out there. Can't leave out Neil Wells. Who faithful, faithfully proclaimed the Word of God. Who've loved God. And I'm sure more, more names are going to come to your minds. But women like you, Luella Ruler. June Howard. Who can forget June Howard? Eleanor Gardner, Rose Gardner, Precious Virginia Snoth, Irma Smitkins, Joyce Lilly, Joan Buto, Nadine Finch, Dee Kennedy, Grace Gardner, Marge Fleming, Katie Leslie, Fran Olson, Vi Albers, Edna Nolte. See, I regret that so many of you never did know these saints who've been part of this church. So you could always tell when it was time for me to finish because Edna Nolte would sit right about where Carolyn is sitting right now. And when it came time for me to quit, she had a Bible that had zippers on it. And I'm telling you, she faithfully, Sunday after Sunday, would take that Bible, and friends, she wouldn't just go zip, 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 zip. She'd go zip. Wait for it. Wait for it. Zip. So everybody was waiting for that final zip. And just zip. So she would, bless her heart. But my heart grieves that Jane Self is not here this morning. Miss Jane. All of these people fought the good fight of faith. And what a host of saints we have had go before us.
And just the thought of all of those in glory just makes heaven sweeter. Amen? And I pray that each and every one of you will be there. I pray that you will be in heaven. If not, God's invitation to you right this very moment is you can change that. That you can become a new creation in Christ by believing that Christ died for your sins. He was buried and He rose again. Believing that He died for you. And the moment you believe that, you are made a new creation in Christ, not because you did anything other than do what God's Word says you need to do in this present dispensation of grace. Is believe. And if you're not sure about your salvation, folks, let's talk. Let's talk. Because I want to show you what God's Word says concerning your eternal destiny. God's Word tells us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And God delights in making you that new creation. And if you've never trusted in Christ, that is the most important conversation you will ever have in your life. I've never known anyone, anyone, who's ever said, man, I wished I hadn't trusted Jesus. That'll never happen. So this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, in the quietness of this moment, this is your time. Let's say, Lord, I believe. I'm a sinner. I need you. Because you died for sinners. What a Savior. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And we thank you for 80 years of being able to proclaim the gospel of the grace of God. Father, I thank you for what this church stands for because it stands on the Word of God. It stands on the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That you're the Savior of all men who will but believe. And Father, I thank you so much for that truth. And Father, I pray this morning if there's anyone here who's never trusted you that before it's eternally too late that this will be the day that that changes forever. That eternal life becomes theirs because they believed in you. And Father, we pray your blessings on this church. We pray your blessings on its future. We pray for the men and the women. I, I pray for these youth that are coming up. Pray, I, Father, I pray that you will use them mightily. Father, I pray that we'll continue to be a church all the days of our lives that stands on your word that preaches Christ, who preaches that the tomb is empty and that you're coming again for your church. Father, may we be faithful in declaring that message until we see you face to face. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.